The views and opinions shared by they might be toxic hosts, guests, or sponsors are those of each contributor and do not necessarily express the official view of the brand. We are not doctors, and this podcast should not be mistaken for therapy. Nothing expressed in this content is intended to malign or harm any party or person. We are simply here to discuss and dissect our toxic relationships and to learn about yours. Welcome to the podcast. One of the things that I've learned while dating my boyfriend right now is to slow down. <laughs> he, I know it's not his job to heal or to help me heal, but he's been such a big part of my healing process because he has allowed me to listen to myself and, and act when when I need a break, he, he shows me that it's okay. He shows me that, right. that it's okay not to be on the go all the time because he is such a, oh man, I learned so much from being with him because he is so present. And like in the moments that he needs to be present, he's okay with like, I'm not going to touch my phone. Like when he's with his kids, that's one of the things I love about him is that when it's kid time for him, when it's his time, he does not fuck around. He puts his phone away. He doesn't text me all the time because usually we text a lot. But I know that when he's with his sons, he is with his sons. And he is happy just being silly and being fun. And he is not too worried about the house being a mess because he's creating mem- memories. He's investing on his kids' mental health and in his relationship with him. And I never had that as a child. No. You know, my parents were, if they're not work, they're at home and they're cleaning. And if they're not doing that, they're investing on themselves. Like we weren't important enough to have mom time or dad time ever. Like, did you, like, to me, it's so foreign that that he does that with his kids. I mean, I admire it greatly because he has taught me to do that with my kids. And then when it's my time with my kids, I live it to to the fullest because those times are going to get shorter and shorter. And then one day right. they're going to fly off the nest and then I'm going to be regretting not doing that. Mm-hmm. But he has taught me to slow down and to listen to my body and, and that it's okay. Like sometimes we have this things that we call it like lazy Sundays in which we literally do nothing. We don't clean. We eat leftovers and we sit there and watch TV with the kids all day and play games. That's it. And there's no expectations of let's clean, let's work on this. But no, it's just, let's just reset. Yeah. And it's okay. Like, but as trauma victims, we are, we, we are constantly in alert. Something bad is going to happen or I'm going to be punished for being lazy. Like, oh, it's just always on the go and just stress. Yeah. And now I'm learning little by little that, that it's okay not to, you know, if if the kitchen is dirty, it's okay. It, it'll be there tomorrow. Like it's not the end of the world. And it's brought down my my stress level tremendously to have him guide me through this. It's okay. Part right. of my life. So well, I, I love think that. even just like getting used to being in your physical body. Like I know I had this really awful experience with the therapist where <laughs> essentially without knowing me and having met me twice, she made a ridiculous diagnosis when I was in the middle of a compound grief of like three people had died within like two months. Right. So it was like, heavy, heavy grief. and I was way, I mean, I was so dysregulated and the fact that she didn't see it was actually shocking. So I ended up using a therapist who's actually like in Canada, which like wouldn't even, you know, like be on my health record. But the thing that she taught me was 
you know what, we get so stuck in these stories and we get stuck in the language of our emotions. And when I would tell her, you know, I'm feeling stressed, I'm, you know, da, 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 you know, whatever the language is, she would stop and she would say, okay, take deep breath. I want you to feel your butt in the seat and tell me where in your body do you feel, you know, whatever thing I described, where do you feel it? What does it feel like? And I would literally have to stop and be like, okay, see, I could tell I just regulated because I mm-hmm. took a big sigh. It's in my chest and it feels tight and it's in the back of my neck and it feels warm and it's in my stomach and it feels heavy or tight. And when you start describing the actual feelings of feelings, your body regulates so quickly. Cause I mean, you saw me sigh, right. And used to be mm-hmm. like the first time I did that activity with her, I would yawn really hard. And she'd be like, if you're yawning or sighing, your body is very easily regulated. Just do this every time. And like, when you feel that tension about the dishes, you're like, okay, where is that in my body? Where do mm-hmm. I feel about the dishes? It, it all goes back to trauma. Like, why are you feeling this way when you're looking at dirty dishes? In my case, is because we were never allowed to just sit down and relax and just let things go. Like, it feels like I have my mom sitting, you know, perched on one of my shoulders going, you're fucking lazy. I can't believe you you're going to let those dishes sit in the sink. Yes! And it's, we are literally playing the record their abuse used to play for us when we were with them, you know? And it's such a hard thing to, first of all, identify because we think, you know, that's just us. We like keeping things clean. No, that's not fucking true. You know, everybody likes- And that's part of my sister's jam. She always likes to make the little stabs about me not keeping my my house as clean as hers. And I'm just like, congratulations on your clean house. Like- I don't know, you know, like I, I literally spend zero time comparing myself mm-hmm. to other people and how clean their house is. Mm-hmm. I know my level of cleanliness and I'm okay with it. Yeah. And I I need to come, I need to, to process that more in, in my healing process is that it's okay. Like nothing is life or death when it comes to cleaning your house. Or when it comes to, yeah. And I put so much pressure on myself that used to be put onto me by my parents, you know? So I just carry the torch, you know? Even though they're not active on the abuse anymore, I'm abusing myself because I am putting all this pressure. When at the end of the fucking day, it doesn't matter, Maria. We just need to realize that nothing is life or death when it comes to those little things. And man, I, I'm so thankful to my boyfriend for allowing me to be good to myself and and not being an ass, not being the same record playing over and over. Now that my mom is not doing it, then I'm 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 doing it to myself. And and he's right. like, you know what? Relax. It's it's okay. It's gonna be there tomorrow. You know, it's it's okay. Right. And for us, it's just never okay because we're always on this alert mode that fucking the sky is falling. Yeah. <laughs> like know? literally this one weekend, the only time I've ever stayed with my nephew, you know, to, to house sit for my sister. My nephew has been raised so militantly that he literally did everything himself. And while it was really nice as a adult that doesn't have children, you know, that I didn't have to actually do anything. It was really sad because he was like maybe nine or ten. 
He made his own breakfast. He packed his lunch for school. You know, he like he literally like everything was done. It was. And I mean, like I said, I think, it. you know, discipline is one thing, but just like. Be militant about it and use that as a weapon is not. And I'm guilty of that with my kids. You know, I want them to learn all the skills. But am I being a good mom for like making them do it when I could do it? I could totally do it and show that as a sign of love towards them because I know they appreciate it. But I brace them in a way where you know you know how to do this, so you're doing it. I could do it yeah. just to show love, but I'm being lazy. I think personally, and I'm calling myself out, is that although something might be easier for me, it might not be good for my kids. Right. It, it, does that make sense? Although I'm teaching them how to have all the skills, they need to feel love. And I know they feel love when I do those little things that they know how to do. But when I do them for them every once in a while, they appreciate that tremendously. But, you know. What's nice, I think, too, is like when you do see kids raised right, they Mm -hmm. grow up wanting to do things for their parents. Yeah. And it's not always out of people pleasing or because you don't want to get your ass beat. It's genuinely because you want to take some pressure off or or whatever. You want to be thankful and show them, you know, now it's my turn, you know. Gosh, I don't know how I'm going to do that in the future because it's so hard for me to receive acts of uh, acts of service from other people. Although that's my that. language to show people that I love them. The second they start showing it to me, I'm like, leave me alone. Don't do anything for me. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't know how to receive that in any way. I know. We're going to see how it. I'll react when the when the housekeeper comes. And it's like, Ooh, yeah. it's funny because she changed the like when I first scheduled the appointment. She's like, can we do it Friday? And I was like, well, somebody else already canceled. If we do it Friday, I have a thing Saturday. If you cancel, I'm totally going to be screwed. I was like, I have a really hard time asking for help. I put that in the in the message. Yeah. And she messaged me back and she was like, okay, I can come Tuesday. I was like, thank God. Bless you. She was like, and I could tell that like, she also had to hard, a hard time asking for help. And when I said that, she heard me, right? It's like, yeah, like I literally did nice. as much cleaning as I can. And I just want her to do the stuff that I don't always make time for and it really is hard to like not be nagging myself right now and to be like oh you're such a lazy ass I can't believe you did that I haven't I haven't hired a housekeeper in like 20 years Uh, when I was married we did it a little bit towards the end um but it does there is really a shame there's a big shame conversation going on in my head of like oh if my sister watches this episode right like we, but we're we're creating that in our own heads, Maria. It's it's mind blowing how we when we don't have an active abuser, we are our own abusers, and it's our default. It's not like it's just you know something that happens when we get upset. It's almost just like you you notice the self talk in your head, and you're just like, who's up there? Like, right? <laughs> My niece I, made this really good analogy. She said. You know, when I think about the environment that's going on in my head, I ask myself if that's a place I would want to be. Mm. Like, is that a room that you would put yourself in if you had a choice? Yeah. But you know what? It's safe because that's how we've been raised. You know, I see that in myself. That when things are going well and I'm expecting, you know, we as codependents we're always expecting that the sky's gonna fall any minute so we can't enjoy the present because we're always like overthinking everything I put myself in that position willingly 
because that's how I feel like I'm somehow have control over things, which is a total, you know, smoke and mirrors concept. But we, we sell that shit to ourselves that if you can just picture every single possible outcome of this, then you are somehow in control. No, you're not. You're just stressing yourself out and you're, you're being detrimental to your own self in the sake of like feeling in control. It's so messed up. (laughs) It's really funny because I think the, there was this year in Nashville is when I lived in the hood house that a tree fell on my house. And it didn't like smash the house in. It just kind of fell at an angle, knocked off the gutters, you know, but it was enough of a tree and landed close enough to my bedroom that you do have that realization that like, I literally have zero control. And if God decided that today was my day, that tree would have fell a few other, you know, a few couple inches to the side and I would have been in bed. Like we literally have no control, which I think is why you know, when you decide to prioritize like just a little bit of joy, a little bit of letting go of the shit, a little bit of like allowing yourself to have fun and be happy. I mean, the guilt just like, (laughs) it's so funny because I, I bought a little convertible BMW a couple years ago after having five Hondas. And it's funny because the last Honda that I had, okay. So the second to last Honda that I had was like a really old one. I think you probably knew me when I had that car. The following Christmas, my sister bought me a Honda Civic that I didn't really want and I didn't really need. And, you know, came with some, you know, like, you need to keep this cleaner than all your other cars and you better come up here and visit more often and you need to come stay the night more often. And I'm like, I'm not sleeping in a twin bed with my bad neck. Like, I'm sorry. It's just, you know, like it just turned into this thing with expectations. And so we went on this vacation um, to Vegas where she bought everybody's tickets And during that vacation was where I realized all the things, right? Like she just bullied me. I ended up crying so many times that like, I was just, and I was sicker than I'd ever been in my entire life. I had bird flu that year. It was like the week after bird flu, we went on this vacation. She was just so bullied. And so in my mind, I already knew that I was transitioning to this other job. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to sell this car. Like when I trade it in, it's going to be so epic. And I'm not going to tell her, I'm not going to say a word. Right. And so- I go and I, and I wanted a convertible for like 20 years. And there was this Toyota Solara. It was like $6,000. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna go get this Toyota Solara. Right. And so I go over there and the dealership's closed and there's a dealership across the street with like this gorgeous little BMW. And I'm like, that is beautiful, but like, there's no price on it. And there's no way in hell that I can afford that car. Right. And so I go over and I can definitely afford it. Cause I had just sold like the largest website oh my of my gosh. life. And you know how that is. Right. So literally yeah. like I wrote a check and I was like, <laughs> Oh, like in love with this car. It like, so good. I'm a car person anyways. But what was really fun is I only saw my sister two or three more times before the shit show happened at Christmas. But so I drive up to Clarksville. My parents are in town and they knew about the BMW, but my sister didn't. And so I park outside and we go through the whole visit without anybody noticing at all. And then they walk outside and she was just like, Oh, somebody bought a BMW, you know, like immediately it wasn't Gosh, like, I'm happy for you, that. or that's really beautiful, or that looks fun. It was immediately the, I could still like the hear comment. the noise that she made. It's like embedded in my brain. Because yeah. I think that they're somebody used to, BMW. she was used to treating you like that all throughout your life. So she felt like even as an adult that she could, you know, talk to you like that. And as an abuse victim, I bet that was super triggering to hear. Instead of being 
pray. Like, if I sold pray. the car she bought me. Yeah. Like she she probably felt like it was a personal attack. Like and narcissists are very good at like feeling like everybody's against them instead of like sharing the joy that you're feeling. They feel like, oh, fuck them. They're doing good. That means they're against me somehow. Yeah. Right? On the so last she visit, probably- I finally got her to drive it. Because I mean, as teenagers, that was our bond, right? Like we were always into sports cars. She taught me how to drive. She would let me use her license when I was like 13. I would take her car and, you know, just go drive while she would go hang out with her boyfriend. I mean, we were bad kids. We got into all kinds of trouble. But like the feeling of driving that car reminded me of one of the sports cars we had when we were teenagers. I was like, please just Mm -hmm. go enjoy it for like five seconds. And she finally did. And you could feel like you could tell that she enjoyed it, but it was almost like that she didn't want to show you she allow herself it. like the full, Ugh. you know what I mean? It was just, yes. it was just, it was interesting, but, and I tried to, you know, it was so hard because I, you know, we lived in, she was in Clarksville, right? So when they, when we decided to move, like when she did the thing at Christmas, everybody already knew that like, we're moving our separate ways this summer. Like it's probably the last time we're going to see each other. And so when I went up to say goodbye and I didn't have to, right? Like this was months after the Christmas thing. And I just, you know, didn't say anything, went up to say goodbye and like wish everybody well. And she starts with the like, you know, Oh, I'm going to miss you. So I'm like, you're going to miss what? Sh- like shitting on me, kicking me in the face. Like what? Like, what are you going to miss? Like yep, that, exactly. me, telling me what a loser I am telling me how dirty my house is. Like, what the fuck are you going to miss? The one-way street, I don't, it was so, it was so hard because that Christmas, it, it was crazy because literally I wanted one thing, one thing. I knew that my parents were getting older. My nephew was kind of at that, you know, magical age where he's still really funny and really fun and not quite into the more mature, you know, like mm-hmm. age. I wanted us as a family to play charades. Mm-hmm. Literally all I wanted was like memories of us laughing together having fun fun. yeah and that's and that's what it turned into was like me literally like having to kind of swallow my tears back and be like okay I guess they did Christmas either they didn't do it or they did it without me but nobody's going to explain and so I just got to you know bring presents and watch everybody open presents and kind of sit here confused about like why I wasn't included in in Christmas this year punishment you know when I think the when narcissists are not because it was the Christmas after the car, yeah, you were being punished. Oh my gosh, I remember when things didn't go my abuser's way. There was always help to pay somehow, some way, some level. There would be. I mean, and his favorite way to make me feel like shit was to ignore me, the silent treatment. Man, that hurts when somebody that you care pretends that you don't exist in the world to me that was the most painful thing somebody can do to me is to just it's essentially they're invalidating your existence yeah so on top of feeling alone they're actively behaving like you don't matter you don't exist so you were being punished that was my hardest thing with my mom honestly is that when my dad would be raging my mom would shut down and obviously I understand this now but as a kid, I didn't. She never stood up for us. She never said, honey, that's enough. Stop. Never, never, ever. I resented my dad because he he was not the physically abuser. But I resented my dad a lot because he never stood up to my mom. 
you know, because he could have, as a man, he could have been like, no more of this. You're never to touch your kids like that. Never did. So I felt a lot of resentment towards my dad for that. I remember like clearly having the shit beat out of me and looking towards my dad for some sort of help. Right. Like, aren't they going to do something? Nothing. And he would just literally like look away. It, you feel so alone as a child when something like that happens, you know? And what's really tough too, is like when you go through the, the trauma and the healing journey, I definitely remember going through this point where one of the books I was using asked me to do this exercise where I would, you know, I don't have kids. Right. So like it asks you essentially to go out in public and just look for kids that are around that age and look at what size they are and -hmm. just make a mental note. Right. Like that'll fuck you up. Right. Because you don't see yourself as tiny when you're getting the shit beat out of you. Like you just feel the same as you do in your body. Right. But then when you go look at a five-year-old or a six-year-old and you're like, fuck, I was puny. And there was somebody, you know, six feet tall. Beating the shit out of you. Yeah. Or, you know, a 35-year-old man or, you know, a 40-year-old man, whatever that is. Like just putting it in that kind of a context of like, You know, the next time I'm around, you know, an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old, imagining this adult man on the other side of me wailing on this kid that probably weighs less than 100 pounds. I think that's... I just don't understand how this has gone on so long, Pilar. Like, (laughs) why? Like, how the fuck? Why the fuck? Like, how is this so common? because we grow up at least in my case growing up I thought that's how old parents related to their kids like I thought that was normal I'm not joking because we weren't really allowed to like go hang out with our friends at their houses so I'm not saying there was cultish in any level but we we knew better than ask because I knew that we were going to be told no so we didn't ask Gotcha. So we were very like confined to our family and what was going on within our family. So I never experienced other people's relationships, like mom and dad, mom and kids interacting. Because I think if I would have, I would have found out really quickly that what was happening at my home was not right. You know, I always had a feeling that this could not be the way that a parent deals with our kids there's there's something wrong about this and i'm telling you thing is like as an adult you kind of start to wonder like what you know you realize that there is really no normal right like that's Mm -hmm. just kind of this fantasy that we have of you know every it's like the social media syndrome everybody's life is a party everybody's you know everybody has it better than me they're, you know, yeah. I bet their parents treat them really well. While the reality is probably that 75% of our friends were probably our going mom, through man. one form or another of the same shit. Yes, yeah. And I read, I read a lot of books about healing and trauma and PTSD and all this stuff. And I clearly know that <laughs> what happened to me is fucking mild compared to what other people have been through. And I understand that. But like in the book, uh, the body keeps the score. Trauma is trauma, and it's not a contest. 
it's not. So what I feel like in my childhood, part of it traumatized me or was in a way that marked my life and defined my life for so long might not be a deterrent or a or a changing factor for somebody else. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody has a different level of um what would you call like how much you can handle before you break you know well and it's the other thing is like people experience so many different flavors of trauma like whether it's long-term poverty or being you know bullied at school for years and years Mm -hmm. because you don't fit in or being spoken to that way by a teacher that doesn't like you like it's just if you don't so many get flavors. It, if you don't get it one place you get it another place and i think even then like kids who have you know like healthy family dynamics it's crazy i was talking to somebody last week and he was telling us about all of his the number of times that he almost died as a child through medical you know through medical like he had to get his tonsils taken out and the doctor pushed the surgery and he literally almost drowned on his own blood right it's like you don't think about that kind of stuff right like oh well they mm-hmm. might have a perfect house at home but they got their trauma from somewhere elsewhere. Else. And what's interesting is it almost feels like the human condition is I've often looked at it as a board game. And when I play it that way, it gets a lot more fun, right? Of like, if you can just look at it as a board game of like, why would I have created these lessons for myself? What agreements did I have with these other souls before we came here? What was I supposed to learn? And when it goes into those terms, especially of what was I supposed to learn? Why did I choose you for my teacher? Right? Like that's the big one, right? That's the hard one of like, I chose that person to teach me what? Mm-hmm. Or what can I learn from that? Yeah, that like how experience. am I a better person because of that shit experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think while I was still married, <laughs> I gave my my ex so much power because I'd be like, well, if he would just do this, this, and this, and this, we would be great, you know? Because we think that we're doing our best and we we very well could be doing our best and doing our part of the deal. But you also need to understand that you can't control somebody else. Yeah. You can't control somebody else's behavior. So you're literally going to sit there until your hair turns gray and that person is never going to do what you want them to do. Yes. So we need to take ownership and the fact that if they're telling you that they're not going to change, you need to believe them. And if you want to change your life, it's in your court to make the moves to make that happen. Yes. Which in my case was to make the decision, okay, I'm I'm walking away from this because this is toxic not only for me, but for my kids. And I can control what I'm teaching them and what, what they're learning from me. I can't control what they're learning from their dad. You know, so I'm going to do something with what I have control over, which meant to separate from their dad. You know, so in that aspect, I think we need to, as women and as abuse victims, we need to take ownership of our part. Quit bitching about it. You know, quit going, oh, if we only do this, this and this, things will be better. Or even no. just, I mean, ex- honestly, what really helps, I think for me, and especially with my, my sister, the biggest thing I eventually this one day realized that like, oh wait, I'm expecting her to handle this the way I would handle it. I would pick right. up the phone. I would a- apologize. I'd be like, look, I'm sorry. I was so shitty to and you. And then you're disappointed. 
Yeah. yeah. And exa- that's exactly it. Like I had this huge entitlement of thinking that someone else is me. And when I dropped the expectation of when I just finally said, she's never going to call. She's never going to apologize. She's never going to acknowledge anything because in her mind, none of this happened. She, she hasn't hurt me. My feelings are just exaggeratedly hurt because I, you know, that I want to be mad. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Once we ex- ex- stop expecting other people to behave like we are, then things start and shift. They start to shift. At least it did for me because in our minds, holy shit, he shouldn't have done it this way. You know, he should be kinder. He should be. No, they're not you. That's who they are. And if you don't like it, fucking walk away. Quit bitching. I finally got to that point where I'm like talking to myself on like, do you really want want your life to change for the better? Or do you just want to eternally bitch about it and blame it all on him? My It was my fault that I stay that long because I was blaming, I was putting all the blame on him. And at the end of the day, if I want change, I need to be the change. And when I yeah. took that, when I started facing that problem of ownership <laughs> with my current situation, and when I started taking the steps little by little, I started seeing the change. And I started feeling empowered because now it's like, okay, now it's under my control to move towards the light. Now I can do it. And the trauma bond is usually, you know, what kind of keeps you away from taking that ownership of like, okay, I need to make the change. The trauma bond just keeps you, you know, stuck. But once you realize that it's up to you to start moving towards the right direction, you know, shit's not going to (laughs) change. Yeah. And what's interesting about confidence is, you know, sometimes it's like you either get a new job or you take a little class or, you know, you just do one little thing. thing for yourself in private, you know, you do it in secret. And then, you know, you have that teacher that like encourages you and tells you that you're great or that boss that you're worth promotes it. you. And it's like, damn, you're really talented. And you're like, damn, I am really talented. Like, you've spent so much time believing the belittling and in all of that language that you kind of forget about yourself. And then you have those moments of like somebody building you back up where you're like, Oh shit. Oh, shit. I can do this. Yes. I am a badass, and you better watch out. Like when I asked, I asked for a divorce. I asked my ex-husband for a divorce in the first thing. He, I remember him clearly. He had this recliner in his room that he would go to every single time when he got home, he would just go straight there. And he always be playing with his phone and his laptop and watching TV all at the same time. And I went in there and said, I need to talk to you. He never stopped playing with his laptop or watching TV. And I said, I want a divorce. And I got a lawyer and he's going to serve you with papers tomorrow. He didn't even look at me and he said to me, why do you want to divorce me? You're going to be nothing but a broke mom of three. He said those words to me. And it was such a validation in my heart to hear those words because I knew something similar and along those lines was going to be said to me from him as soon as I asked for a divorce. Because it was just, I mean, what else? (laughs) Does that really surprise me? He said that? No, because that's always been the, the gameplay with him. It was to put me down, to make me feel alone and to make me feel like I couldn't make it without him. It's like we forget how much badass we are 
when we're with those people because they chip away little by little with little comments. I mean, they don't even have to be very direct, just little comments. Just take away that confidence, take away that power that, that we have. As a human being, we all have power to change our destiny, but they take it away little by little. And once I heard those words, instead of like making me like scared of the future, it empowered me. And it was like, oh, let me show you broke mom of three. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I'm going to show you. Because in the time that we were together, the first eight years of our marriage, I was the only breadwinner. I was the only and person. And I remember when I met you, I mean, we just thought you were oh, badass. Yeah. We are like, oh my God, she's like a tech genius. So cool. Like, <laughs> I, did, I did not believe that for myself. You know, I always put up this front of like being very confident. But at home, I never felt supported or love enough. Because all those little comments and that little behavior towards me that would make me doubt myself. Like, it's incredible. Right now with my boyfriend, he never misses a chance to build me up. Like, never. Like, if something good is happening and he sees me excited, he shares that joy with me. And it validates what's happening. Like, fuck yeah, you're a badass. You know what I'm saying? When you're around someone who can't be joyful for you... That is like the biggest red flag of just, you know, anytime something good happens in there. But to me, I was like, I was starving for that approval from him that I would do. I would go to grave lengths to, to do good things in order to get that out of girl from him. And I never got it. It was crazy. But now it's like, I don't have to prove myself to anybody. I love myself. How I am. I love what I'm accomplishing and I really don't need anybody to tell me at a girl, but it's so sweet when you hear that from people that you love, you know, it is because it's like, they're filling up your tank again. You know, that they're giving you that little, that little love that, that everybody deserves when, when they're happy for themselves, when you, when somebody's being happy with you, oh my gosh, I mean, there's no better feeling. Thank you for listening to They Might Be Toxic podcast. We truly appreciate your likes, subscribes, shares, and especially your time. We wish you safety, insight, and empowerment as you navigate your own healing path. They Might Be Toxic podcast airs every Sunday at 8 a.m. Central. If you've enjoyed our content, please subscribe and look for our books on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold.